Greetings and welcome. This is Johanna DiBiase. And I'm Eric Mack. And this is do 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 our answer in future. Very nice. 30 minutes off the cuff, off grid and off the cuff, unedited. We're going to just talk without stopping. Although last episode we learned that you could pause. We're inevitably it. going to stop, but uh, yeah, le- no, because we, we can't have any from the start. We can't have any dead air. But last episode we discovered we could pause it if we needed to. That was like a big discovery on our part. Oh yeah, we could pause it. But the idea is that we just are not going to go back and edit it. So. Um, we don't want to pause from talking and leave dead air because we're professional like that. I like the concept of dead air in a podcast, though. Why? Because it doesn't make any sense. Because you, do you can mean? edit. No, but we're not editing it. Okay. So you can't edit it. So it's basically lazy podcasting, is what it yeah. really is. The actual you, phrase is uh, lazy first of podcasting. All, let's let's take back the word lazy. I would like to take that word back. I think that it gets a de- bad rep. But actually, we're not we're not lazy in the negative way. We're lazy in the positive sense in that we don't work as hard, and so it's minimalist podcasting. Yeah. Okay. And we're not like stressing. We don't have to do extra work. What's that phrase? It's like work hard. Don't work harder. Work smarter. Work smarter. That's what we're doing. We're working smarter. AKA lazy. AKA okay. lazy. Okay. I'll roll with that, sure. Okay, good. Thank you for rolling with that. So Appreciate what are we talking it. about That's today? Very lazy of you. Um Okay, so we are talking about uh, my most recent newsletter, which was actually from a month ago, but yes. Mm-hmm. We're a little behind. Not because we're lazy, but because we're having so much fun minimalist, enjoying the tail end of summer here and i was off again on another coloradan coloradan i should say as the coloradans say excursion um but it was called uh what compels me to live this way it was inspired by a visit to colorado back in august colorado Back in August, um, where I helped to guide a woman's vision fast or assist in guiding a woman's vision fast. And the land that it was on was originally homesteaded by a woman for 30 years. I can't remember the exact time frame. I feel like it was the 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe it was 70s, 80s, 90s. And she lived completely remote by herself in this little um, Hogan-shaped wooden cabin with an outhouse on the side of this mountain. And it feels very wild up there. It's above 9,000 feet. Um, The road is rough. She's down a long driveway, down the slope of the hill. I mean, when we're out there, there's um, cougars, there's elk, there's coyotes. So it feels wild, but she lived out there on her own. And a lot of people would think, would look at that and think, 
that she was crazy or whatever i don't hermit or whatever they might they would think they would they could never do that and i look at it and i immediately thought that i was jealous and i wish that i got to do that i thought it was the coolest thing ever and i realized that that thought was weird and or unusual most people wouldn't think that way and that was the inspiration for writing this piece Right. So just kind of going into, I guess, your, you went into your background um, and you, you actually interviewed your mom for this, just kind of trying to uh, diagnose why that uh, situation of kind of uh, ultimate roughing it is attractive to you for some reason. So what did you uncover? Yeah, I don't know that I found this, the answer. I went as far as to look at astrology and numerology as it was connected to the tarot. And I did, I interviewed my mom, which was really, really cool because I, I remembered as a kid, my parents were these sort of back to the land homesteaders in what is now very suburban New York. It was, it's, it's in the lower Hudson Valley region on the West side of the river um, the most northeast corner of the state, and other than Manhattan, and um, in Long Island, Rockland County. Represent. Anyway, ge- geography, <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, Rockland in the house, and um, ne- but at the time it was more rural vibe. It was more pastoral. I mean, there were a lot of like, um pastures and a lot of open land and both of your parents grew up uh originally from the city so they 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 made that move themselves as well well the boroughs my mom's from brooklyn and my dad's from yonkers and it's still very urban compared yes, to for anywhere sure. else we've yeah. lived and my dad was a new york city police officer too and um yeah so my mom just was talking about how she always had this desire to travel and to live off the grid, but that the opportunities didn't happen for her. It might have something to do with the fact that she's afraid of flying. It might have to do with, you know, she had kids pretty young too. She started a family very young. Um, But for whatever reason, um, this was as close as she got and it and she still lives in this home that i grew up in on an acre of land and it's pretty overgrown now but it is a really beautiful piece of property um and yeah when i grew up you know my dad had was raising rabbits we used to eat rabbit and we had an apple tree and a, a nice modest garden and a bunch of different pets and they did everything themselves they were very DIY and um, I wondered if that those early childhood memories somehow stuck with me and got ingrained and created some kind of subconscious pattern that made me want to you know live this kind of life but I don't feel like that's the solution it's it seems like an oversimplification well, well, when you were a teenager, you were going to Manhattan every chance you got, actually, right? Yeah, I was not like an outdoorsy teenager at all. I was going to clubs and raves on the weekends and 
just like any other teenager, we, you know, we were driving, cruising down the strip and going to the movies and, you know, whatever kids did in the 90s. But then you didn't, you weren't like an NYU kid for college. You actually went further out. That is true. That is a good point. I did go upstate for college. So I was in the mid Hudson Valley on the east side of the river for, for college. And I don't know why I think I just wanted to be a little bit further away from home. There's a lot of great schools out east. None of them feel very off-grid to me. <laughs> I've been to your alma mater. It's 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 pretty. It's um, bucolic. Um, even calling it rural is a stretch in my mind. I guess it is compared <laughs> to New York. It's rural New York, I guess. Yeah. I mean, these days the Hudson Valley is pretty overpopulated. Um, yeah, it is interesting. So I knew I didn't want to live in New York City. A lot of my friends moved to New York City or Brooklyn eventually. I just knew that that was not what I wanted. New York felt too fast-paced for me. It was like I didn't feel like my inner pendulum. This is the way I describe it. What's that? Is it a pendulum that goes tick it's a metronome, but yeah. Thank you. Like my, thank you for that word. My inner metronome was slower <laughs> than everybody else in New York. That's how I felt. Like I didn't like that pace of life. I also felt like, no offense to my New York peeps, I love you, but that New York had a very like two-faced feel to it where people would say one thing to your face and then whisper another catty obnoxious thing behind your back and that was to be fair that that that's also the the rip on a whole lot of small town life <laughs> so that may just be a oh, really a human thing yeah i don't know but uh, anyway um well since this is unedited i can't go back and change that so i said what i said that was my feeling it could be that i was like painfully insecure and shy too on some level when i was a young adult so, um, yeah, I thought I'd move to a smaller city. Mm-hmm. So I went out west. And I had this sense that going out west was going to fit me better, that I that east coast life wasn't a good fit for me. And so I went west, and I was trying to decide between um, San Francisco and Seattle, and I landed in Seattle, beautiful city. And this is the late 90s. So Seattle had already had, kind of peaked had its grunge peak but it was still pretty cool back then and i wanted to work at an indie bookstore because i was a writer yeah i was gonna say some some part of this has something to do with um the fact that you wanted to be a writer pretty young and i think being like kind of uh arts oriented as opposed to uh grind oriented right like i think that's yeah one important part you're leaving out Mm -hmm. that's a cool way of saying it yeah, and I lived in Seattle for a couple of years. I kind of struggled with keeping jobs as per usual. And I did actually... Not grind-oriented. Not grind-oriented. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I did work at a couple indie bookstores. One of them, Third Place Books, where I met some amazing people I'm still friends with today. I went back to when I did my first book tour. We went back there mm-hmm. and I read and that was super cool. But um, I did end up getting fired from there. And <laughs> um, I went and worked for Amazon 
which was located in Seattle at the what, time what before year they outsourced um 99 i want to okay, say so 98 er, early amazon like that's books only amazon seattle was very tech progressive in the at that point in the late 90s it was i could order things on the internet and have them delivered to my door right that was the then. first dot com yeah yeah that's yeah. about the time i was uh temporarily dropping out of college to go to san francisco and do the dot com thing right as it was unraveling and there was if you were in those cities, it was yeah. like very like utopian, futuristic, but it only lasted for like two years. Yeah, and I don't know what was going on in New York or on the East Coast at that time. I don't feel like it was as tech there was there was less, but yeah. it was there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I ended up working for Amazon, which I felt like a real traitor because like indie was really big in the late nineties too, like indie music, indie bookstores, indie presses. Um. And they were thriving. They ha- were having kind of a, a renaissance. And so to go work for Amazon, which was like the big corporate bookseller that was going to put all indie bookstores out of business. Already at that point, it was, it, that was the talk? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was resistant to it. But in the end, I the pay was so much better. The benefits were so much better. People were nicer than they were, like, just working at um, for, you know, whatever, manager at some rando bookstore, putting up with those kind of smaller things. Like, when you go to a – I hate to say this, but when you work at a bigger place, you're more autonomous, right? So you have a little bit more freedom in that. And so a lot of my friends from – the bookstores I had worked at had moved over to Amazon. They recommended it, so I went there and I learned and I did customer service for them and I got a little bit internet savvy in that way because of that as somebody who in 1999, I was 24 years old, right? Math? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, Y2K brought me to Alaska. So I just want to say that in my time in Seattle, the my inner metronome was still slower than even the west coast city of seattle i thought seattle would be this chiller kind of scene it was still too fast paced for me i was like frantic by the end of the two years there i was stressed out all the time i couldn't keep up with the pace of the rat race at all and it so i think if i had i think that was sort of what drove me over the edge to realize that like maybe i should give this rural living this and I had always been interested in off grid. Again, don't know why. But you, okay, hold on, because you just said something very unusual that um, I think you need to go back to. What you said? Y two K took you to Alaska. You, you you can't leave that thread hanging. Well, do you remember Y two K? I do. We all thought the world was going to end. I actually, the bug, the Y2K I didn't bug. actually move to Alaska till April of two thousand. So I'm just saying that that's a sort of a not okay. that's not actually true. You thought the bug was five five months late, maybe, but maybe it was still going <laughs> to destroy everything. I don't remember actually believing that anything was going to happen. I think everyone on some level in the collective unconscious did believe that uh, when the clock struck midnight on year 2000, January 1st, 2000 or whatever, that something was going to happen, that we all, I think, on some level expected something. Even the most tech-savvy people who thought it was dumb 
There was like some tension in the air. Or it was excitement. a remarkably anticlimactic night is what I remember. <laughs> it was. There was like this anticipation and then nothing happened. Kind of like the when the Mayan calendar ended. When yeah, was nothing. that? What year was 2012. that? 2012. 2012. We went to that Mayan. Nicole hosted that Mayan calendar party, the, the end of the world Mayan party or whatever. That was super cool with cacao and stuff and... There was also a similar sense of like of excitement, anticipation that something would happen, and nothing did. But anyway, it was like that. But so I how did you land in Alaska? I heard it was off grid. I heard everyone there lived okay. When I was working at one of the indie bookstores I worked at was a New Age bookstore, and the woman, my manager, was a volunteer for Greenpeace's Sea Shepherd. And another employee there, my good friend, who I still have to this day, Jody, also um, worked with Sea Shepherd. There was some connection. Maybe she was dating the Sea Shepherd, some person, something. I'm not sure. And she told me all about it. She had just gotten back from Alaska where she was house-sitting for the Sea Shepherd cabin. I don't remember the exact <laughs> thing. See, this is when you wish that you could edit and there was some connection with that. Um, and she got back and she told me all about it. And Jody is an amazing storyteller and um, just has a great, like, sense of making things sound exciting. And I think that's just the way she sees the world. So I thought Alaska sounded really exciting. And again, this whole off-grid thing just for some reason intrigued me. And so I went. I got a ride. <laughs> you got a ride. I got a free ride up there. That helped. Okay, so did uh so are we are we figuring out any any of the threads here and so the the, the post you wrote is is titled what what compels me to live this way meaning off grid. Um so if have we hit on what is compelling you and and also maybe you should define um, what what it means? What do you mean by living this way? Do you mean just off grid, or what do you mean? Yeah, um, I think so. It's like living remote, living it doesn't necessarily have to be off grid. Home. I somebody um online today was making this distinction between homesteading and off grid. They are two different things. They can't, you can be off grid and homestead, but you can be homesteading and not off grid, but homesteading, living off grid, living remotely, um, traveling to far off places, even like, okay, this is going to sound silly off the cuff here. Like the way you and I both have this in common, like I like to go to a dive bar instead mm -hmm. of a hipster bar, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'd rather go someplace where the bar stools have duct tape on them then go someplace where the you know they don't use bar stools they have fancy high back um you know plastic chairs or whatever i don't know i mean i think we both uh we both have come from families that i would say are 50 percent working class or maybe about half of my family is kind of um, more like, uh, my biological dad is an astrophysicist. Um, and my mom was a, was a first grade teacher. And, uh, I mean, there's a, uh, 
there's a there people are people in our, both our families are educated, but there's also a bit of like a you know there's builders and welders in my family, and uh, you you know your dad was a cop, um, and uh, you know built built a cabin, right? So there's mm-hmm. like some yeah. My stepmom's a school teacher. My mom's an artist, and she worked for the state. So yeah, I guess there is that sort of working class thing. I never really thought of it the way you do. Um, but also my family's... Because you are snobbier than me. Yeah, because so. <laughs> we're snobby, so I didn't really think of it that way. But our family also... My family also is from immigrants. They're pretty recent mm-hmm. to the United States. I right. think it's like third generation... I'm third generation American or... Fourth, I don't know, like my grandparents migrated over, still spoke the um, native tongue. I mean, there's something about being just a few generations removed from not just immigrants, but then also like, uh, you know, Jews in diaspora, I would think that that, I don't know, that has some sort of a uh, like self-reliance aspect to it, I would think. I think immigrants in general, I think my Italian family too is that sense of, I think immigrants, there is a sense of working hard um, and and self-reliance, yeah, for sure. Um, Sort of the American dream that we won't get, I won't get into how I feel about the American dream right now, but you think that that might have something to do with, with it? Oh, I don't know. It does for me, so I'm projecting. But uh, oh. I mean, yeah, and then New Mexico is uh, similar to Alaska in the same way of it being, you know, really culturally diverse and sort of economically depressed. Alaska, I don't know, would be considered economically depressed, but it has sort of a f- sense of being outside of the country. There's sort of this mm-hmm. sense of not being in the United States. It's sort of. Um, got like a rough and tough it's like a rustic rough kind of feeling and you do you want to pause it because there's a sound coming from the bedroom that's your phone anyway we're back yeah, I don't know how any of this is connected. It makes you think a lot about nature versus nurture. Like, maybe it isn't nurture. Maybe I was just born this way. I was just born with this sense of, I don't know, of the, I don't know, of life. Well, we skipped over the Alaska chapter, or I skipped over it. Um, so I, <clears throat> that's where, that's where we met and where you were for, um, six or seven years, I think. I loved Alaska. Alaska changed my life. I was just a suburban, New York suburban girl. Right. Same with me. So do you think you end up, um, here where we are today if you hadn't, um, made that move to Alaska, which maybe you want to describe what that was like? I don't, um... I think that I might have still ended up here if I ha- if I hadn't gone to Alaska. I wouldn't have met you. But I think if that, yeah, something innately inside of me wanted to live off grid or in homestead. I had some, for most of my life, it was this, it was sort of, it wasn't a prepper thing the way we think of preppers. 
but it was a sense that I needed to be prepared for some kind of apocalyptic event. <laughs> was good. Mm. I don't know. The irony for me is I n never had any interest in any of this growing up uh, or in college uh, and was completely convinced that I was actually headed for New York City, ironically. I was a, grew up in the suburbs of Colorado and figured I was destined for uh, Los Angeles or preferably New York and uh, career and um, media and literature and uh, entertainment maybe. Um, and then I mean, basically 9-11 just, <laughs> just threw all that into to disarray and wound up getting the only job I could get uh, in Alaska and um, had no idea what I was getting into. And then that actually just um, opened my eyes to to all of, all of this. So it's interesting that you had some inkling that you were interested in this like uh, kind of lifestyle like all along. And I never did until being exposed to it around the time I met you. Yeah, I don't know that I knew that about myself. Probably it was in college um, when I was around more like hippies and liberal folks. I went to a really liberal, liberal, liberal arts college. Um, and I think it was being exposed to people with more of those ideas who were like talking about communes and sustainability and those kind of ideas i met those people in college too and i don't know it didn't click but um yeah I don't, it's interesting and i wonder if the fact that you were already uh in new york and like had had experienced uh more of that mm -hmm. like fast-paced uh like far faster paced than denver um, but like having spent time growing up in, in Manhattan, spending a lot of time there and, um, you know, having friends that were moving into that world, like maybe you just knew earlier than I did that it wasn't for you. Hmm. Yeah. I think having been exposed to my parents kind of homesteading when I was a kid and then, yes, I, I did know innately that New York was not for me. So yeah, I grew up there. And I had an easy opportunity to go live there and just knew that I preferred um, smaller communities. I think going to college, going to a small college also exposed me to this idea of what a small community felt like. And then when I got to Alaska and lived in a small community, that sort of solidified that idea for me that small communities were where it was at. For me, I liked the um, close-knitness. Even though I'm a pretty hermity solo person, when you live in a small community, there's just sort of this mutual support and caring. There's other things that I learned about small communities, like don't burn bridges, and if other people burn bridges, just you know, pretend like everything's okay because you got to kind of live together and make it work. You know, there's other things I've learned too from small communities. But um, I I think that, yeah, Alaska solidified for me that like that vibe, that small community vibe. Did you get that there? Yeah. And that's, um, well, and that was new because, and I wonder if that is also another thing that we have in common growing up is, um, there was not really a sense of community um, 
I mean, I was like, I, I grew up in a suburb um, called uh, Lakewood. Uh, there's like a, something like a dozen communities called Lakewood in the United States, uh, and they're all as uh, kind of forgettable as all of the rest. Um, not bad places. Yours is beautiful. It's a completely Lakewood, nice Colorado place, but beautiful. it doesn't like, the, it has no, it doesn't like, it has no like it doesn't stand out really strongly for any particular unique characteristic it's just nice comfortable um kind of like every other <laughs> every other lake would have ever been to um you know it's just kind of a like a steady suburban comfortable thing um but like i yeah i wouldn't say there was any sense of larger community like the community exists maybe like inside your school or right, your on friends. like your sports teams or your oh, friends yeah, uh-huh. um so like you know it's not to say that it was like an isolating experience like you find community but i think that is kind of the um you know that that was suburban life in the 1990s is um people you would live in these these suburban communities, you didn't necessarily know all your neighbors. And I think that was maybe kind of a trend. Like, there was a transition happening in um, American life, I think, where I don't know if people were fleeing the cities at that point and people were flooding into the suburbs. But uh, like that was, you know, that's that's like the, uh, the bowling alone era for people that have read that book where kind of the focus in on community and like small neighborhoods had started to fade away. So I think to find a place like we both found in Alaska where that was, that was actually, there was like a strong community because you have to rely on each other when it's uh, cold and dark and freezing for mm-hmm. part of the year. Like yeah. that was a new and interesting experience. Northern, I think Northern rural places are even tighter communities than places where the climate's nice. Um, so you thought you were going to live this like big city life. Then in 2001, you went looking for a job after college. And the only job you could find was working for this small rural public radio station in not only in Alaska, but in Bush, Alaska, off the road system mm-hmm. in an Athabascan hub village. And, like, you were like, okay, I guess I'll go? I mean, I had applied at dozens of places, and I had received two interviews. Um, and it was that one and then one for uh, Muscle Magazine, which, if you know me, you know that's laughable. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, there, was, there wasn't a lot of choice. And, like, I kind of... Um, the manager of the station really kind of uh, sold me on the the adventure of it. Um, he was a character, uh, R.I.P. Shadow, and um, uh, yeah, that's where I ended up there. But that's 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 probably and then for it changed another. You completely, and then because well, I'm just saying we're talking about how I mm-hmm. what compels me to live this way. So I have to argue with you a little bit i think i know we're at the end here but i think that something in you was okay with moving to bush alaska without knowing anything so there was something already there there was some seed so maybe you need to write a piece about what compels you to live this way 
I did not think I was moving to Bush, Alaska to live like a mountain man in Bush, Alaska. Like that part didn't sink in. I thought I was moving there to be a a media mogul or some (laughs) nonsense like that. You Um, were. You were were the media mogul of Galena, Alaska in... Uh, 2002 it's a, to it's a low bar to clear but yes <laughs> i guess so so did we figure out what compels you like no. or if, if you had to sum it up like what's your best guess? i don't think i don't think we're i don't i don't think we're gonna figure it out in this podcast i didn't figure it out writing that i think there are multiple reasons maybe that go into it i think that i naturally prefer the sort of being outside of mm-hmm. things, outside of society, on the edges. I like the edges, um, those spaces of that of uncertainty. They feel more adventurous to me to be outside the mainstream and be trying different things. And that that's kind of how I like living my life, I think. So I think it's nature. I think it's nature. And so the, the trade-off that uh, we've run into, because we've lived in at this center of of town and we've lived uh you know we're now a drive from anything from the you know we're at least 15 minutes from the nearest tiny convenience store um and it's definitely uh less convenient and this is kind of what we come up against all the time is you know we got a kid in high school and so there's uh it's inconvenient mm-hmm. um because we couldn't talk her into homeschool uh but so we you know at one when we ended up living in the middle of town, it was because we kind of got fed up with the inconvenience of driving everywhere. Last mm-hmm. time we had kind of a, a homestead situation. Which was even uh, further out. Which was even further out and over a mountain. Um, uh, now we're just over a gigantic gorge. Uh, but, I mean, do you worry about the uh, inconveniences becoming too inconvenient again? Or do you think, what do you think? What do you mean? I mean, do you think you're you're compelled to live this way more or less permanently? I think that I could probably live even further out if I didn't have a kid in school. Yeah, that's interesting. We started looking at like properties and stuff. That are even and more at remote. one point, I asked you, do you. I said to you, "We'll probably never go off the internet." And you respond. Your your response shocked me. You said, "Maybe we will." Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. Ultimately, I would like to live in some kind of intentional community. Um, so creating more localized. So instead of being off grid where it's just us, creating a community grid and um, something like that. So that could be far away um, from town, but having uh people nearby i just see that as probably the next step but first i want to travel i think traveling is also part of who i am and it kind of fits into that um that desire to be on the fringe being an expat being a foreigner um and when i travel i do like to be in cities and nature i like to do both so I think that um, there's different ver- versions, and I'm okay with that. How about you? Unfortunately, I don't know. You and I are just a perfect match. We met in the middle of 
but nowhere. And somehow we both are like on the same path, on the same wavelength. So what compels me? I don't know. What compels you? I don't know. But for some reason, the two of us are like pretty happy to be on this ride together. And there's never been a time where I've said, let's do this. And you've been like, no way. Well, one time. There was one time. There was? When we were first together, first living together. And I said, I'm going to go backpack around Asia for a few months. Yeah, but I did And you said, no. And I said, well, then I'm going without you. Did I say no? Yeah. At first? You were still sort of new to the whole thing, I think. <laughs> new to the whole fringe life. I don't know. I guess, yeah, I guess. I it was like kind of out of your comfort zone at that point. Yeah, you said no. And I said, I'm going to go without you. I was just finishing graduate school. I was like, I'm going to go without you then. And you finally said, okay, fine, I'm let's such do a this follower. thing. God. And we took off for six months backpacking around Asia and. That's where we got engaged, but I think that is part of our life too. Also, another podcast. Another podcast. Uh, oh yeah, let's be done. I'm going. I'm, I'm done. You I'm know, tired I'm going to call it. Like I think let's I've heard enough it. to. I don't need to say anything profound to end this podcast. Well, I'm, no, I'm saying I'm going to call it. I think I've heard enough, and I know what compels you to live this way. Sounds like it was Y2K. I'm going to call it for I Y2K. Think it was, no. Oh, uh, I thought you were going to say it was it you. Was, it was the bug. <laughs> you win again, Y2K. <laughs> 23 Y2K. years later you're still winning it's back y2k is on trend right now okay another podcast <laughs> okay sing us out oh yeah our answer in future bye-bye